Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our current self-titled series, we're looking at what it means to answer the call to be a disciple maker of disciple makers. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. So uh, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, I was with uh, a group of friends of mine, and uh, these guys are members of what we call, we call ourselves a covenant group. I think I've mentioned this group to you before. Those of you that were not present when I mentioned them, I'm part of a group. Uh, there's uh, four other guys, so uh, there's five of us. One is a mentor. His name is Alan Olgram. He's a retired pastor, 40 years, out in Colorado. And Alan is the one that pulled these groups together, these covenant groups. He's not just got our group. He's got a couple of other, number of other groups that work through a process. For three years, we commit to be together. And in that, the simple goal of that is to walk together with intentional discipleship, intentional investment to one another so that we can just hold each other close and provide soul care, friendships that foster faith. And so I have uh, grown to love these guys. I've got one guy's from Texas, Dallas, Texas, another guy's from Chattanooga, Tennessee, another guy from uh, Michigan. We've gone through life together uh, just in the year and so, almost two years now, uh, dealing with passing of loved ones, family crisis, personal issues, career changes, career decisions. Um, it's just been a great, great experience for me to be part of a group where uh, we just hold each other close and seek to lift one another up as we follow Jesus. Now, the way it works is the group meets twice a year in person. We meet together for about four days, and we kind of catch up and work through uh, some stuff together. And then we talk once a month on a phone in a conference call, and in that we, we check in with one another and uh, pray for one another and work together. God has really blessed uh, me through this and uh, just uh, the learning of what it means to be open to others in our faith walk. It's, uh, it's been a great experience of learning and growing, and uh, my prayers, I've been a blessing to these guys. So we were together not too long ago, and Alan, our mentor, was sharing some thoughts, some things that were going on that he was learning that he wanted to pass on to us. And it all began with something like this. He asked a question that I'm going to ask you to consider. The question was this. Who's the person you talk to the most? Who's the person that you expend most of your words on communicating with? Who's the person you talk to the most? And it's a question I'd like you to consider and to think about. Just think about it. Who is the person that I talk to the most? Well, if you do an accounting of actual words spoken, not necessarily by mouth, but maybe by thought, truly the person you talk to the most is yourself, right? You talk to yourself the most. The words you hear the most are the words from your own voice in your mind. You talk to yourself the most. Which then led Alan to bring up a quote uh, from a book that really was impactful for him, uh, the quote, I've changed it around a bit. The original quote goes like this. It says, uh, some of the greatest sources of human sufferings are the lies we tell ourselves. I've changed it up a little bit because of my scriptural observations and because of what I'm going to share with you later on in our message. I've changed the quote to say this. The greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. 
The greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. If we are the one that has the most jurisdiction or it's our voice that is primarily spoken in those inner places of our life to our heart, then the place that motivates us, the place that moves us forward, the place that we are inspired from, the place we speak to is in our inner world and we speak to ourselves and therefore sometimes if we find ourselves in trouble, we find ourselves in suffering, we find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be with addictions that we're struggling with, with issues that we're dealing with that relate to how we live life. If we're in a place of suffering and pain and death, then the ultimate, the person responsible for that is ourself because the greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. I'm going to give you a little bit of a practical example, and it's a bit of a fun one, but uh, a personal example from me. Um, so Shannon and I will be celebrating about 26 years of marriage in June, and uh, I still count every day as new. It's fantastic. Um, but one of the usual sources of our discussions, if you know what I'm saying, one of the usual sources of our arguments or points of tension, which we have fewer and fewer as we've lived longer together, but is has to do with the clothes I select uh, to wear, um, and particularly whether they are presentable to go out in public, as she says. And specifically, if, say, I choose a shirt, whether or not it needs to be ironed. So this is how it'll work. I'll be upstairs. She'll be downstairs getting things together. Let's just say I'm getting ready for church. I'm like, let me select a shirt. I look at my shirts. I'm like, I like that one. I'm going to wear that one. I put it on. And it, it might be a little wrinkly. But I tell myself, I look good in this. In fact, I'll stand in the mirror. I'm like, yeah, looks good. And then I'll decide to go downstairs. And I don't know if for some reason I get nervous about that. I don't know what's happening in my mind, but I start gearing up to go downstairs wearing the shirt I've selected. That's just a little confession here. I start gearing up because I'm nervous because of what she's going to say. And so I go downstairs, and inevitably I go on. I'm acting like, hey, hey, how you doing? I'm getting ready. Ha, 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 nothing. And she'll turn, and she'll see me, and she'll stop, and she'll usually say, oh, you look nice. And then I'm like, Whew. good. But normally, because I've selected a shirt that needs iron, she'll look at me, and she'll say, that shirt needs to be ironed. Or she'll say the other side is, are you going to go out in that? And I'll then get defensive because that's what I've geared myself up. I have all that emotion and nervousness. I've got to get it out. And, you know, I can't be cooperative that easy. Anyway, uh, and I'll start arguing with her. No, it's okay. I don't need to do it. Now, the reality is, is that I don't want to take the time for me to either go and select a new shirt or for me to to accept her gracious offer of ironing the shirt for me. I want to wear my shirt. I want to get out and eat my breakfast and get out of there. The problem is the lie I tell myself, right? The problem and the source of the suffering in that moment is the lies that I've been telling myself that the shirt is presentable and it does not need ironing when in reality if I'm really open and I look into the mirror and I say, yeah, it needs ironing. And if I believe the testimony of my wife who wants the best for me, doesn't want me to go out into public looking like an idiot, um, if I believe her truth, then I know that if I accept that, then, then it'll be good. The problem, the greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. And of course, this applies to so much, to more than just, just my shirt, right? It applies to faith. 
applies to the values and the beliefs that we operate by. Because ultimately, it's from these values and these beliefs come the energy, the motivation, the source of make, making us move forward, making us move to do what we, we need to do. The greatest source of suffering is the lies I tell myself. And so we come to the words of Jesus, and Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, makes this claim. He says this, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly, my, are truly disciples of mine. Disciple is another word for, for Jesus follower. I use that a lot because I think it's easier for us to understand. Uh, I don't think we get disciple too much in our culture other than I think the best word to, to illustrate what a disciple is, a kind of idea for idea, is the word in, uh, apprentice. For us, a disciple is more than just someone who learns the teachings of the teacher. It's someone that learns and applies and lives by the teachings of the teacher. So when Jesus says be a disciple, he wants you to basically be a life apprentice of his, or Jesus follower is how I like to say it. So he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly, my, are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and now some of you know this verse, and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth if you believe in me, and the truth will make you free. What will it make you free from? Well, what's the opposite of truth? Lies. The lies we tell ourselves. Now, it's no coincidence that the Word of God in other pages of Scripture describes itself as a mirror. Describes itself as a mirror that we look into and it shows us the truth about ourselves. In terms of our faith, if we believe and we trust in Jesus and we believe His Word, which is contained for us in the words of Scripture, it's like us looking in the mirror. It's like me coming out of the closet and having the opportunity to look and to see if the shirt needs ironing or not, if it's presentable or not, if it's stained or not, if it's the wrong color or not, right? And so God's Word, given to us through the Spirit, provides a mirror by which we can see the truth and the truth can set us free because the greatest source of our suffering is the lies we tell ourselves. But also, God not only provides us a mirror by which we can look into and see the truth so that the truth can set us free, God provides us people in the context of relationships that love us enough to tell us the truth so that we can be set free, right? Again, it's no coincidence that in the description of the church, the community of faith that each one of us who are Jesus followers are placed into, there's no uh, me and God on the back porch and watching the squirrels, that's enough. No, that is not scriptural and it's not true. Why? Because the church needs you and you need the church. That's the design. That's God's plan. You're born into a family and you're reared by a family. In the same way, you're born into Christ and you're reared in a family of faith called the church. And when the church, according to Scripture, is fully functioning, is doing what it's supposed to do, Paul says we are a community that does what? Speaks the truth in love. We're people that enter each other's lives and we speak the truth in love. Why? Because we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Speaking the truth in love means we say what is true so that the person may be built up, not that they may be teared down. Shannon doesn't tell me that I, I need a shirt that's ironed because she wants me to be upset or wants something bad for me. No, she does it because she loves me and wants me to look presentable when I walk out the house. 
Well, in the same way, God calls us to be members of the church to do the same thing for one another. Now, obviously, not all of us can be friends with everyone at the same time. The way it works is that God provides a few who come into our life that become truth-tellers to us, truth-speakers in love to us. To quote my mom, some of you heard me say this, the way of life is this, love everybody in the family of faith, trust a few, have few close people that are in your life that speak the truth and paddle your own canoe. Take responsibility for your own actions and your own endeavors and your own walk with the Lord. Trust everybody. No, love, love everybody, trust a few, paddle your own canoe. How's that sound? All right. Now, understanding this, let's just take a moment to look into this issue about the lies we tell ourselves. And let's look into the mirror of, of the Word of God and let's see how looking into the mirror and being open to the people God places in our life in the context of church, how that works to inspire us to be set free from the lies we tell ourselves so that we can be motivated to grow up. Last week, we talked about the fact that God has a prayer for each of us. It's revealed to us in Ephesians. The prayer for us as Jesus followers is that we might have the fullness of God in our life, that we may know the height, the depth, the the length, the breadth, the fullness of God in our life in His love, that Christ may dwell in us and we might live as His children in this world. That prayer came with a challenge. Remember the challenge? The challenge, he said, live in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And we said, as we know God and God is in our life, he not only has made us valuable by dying for us on the cross and paying the ultimate price for us, he has given us value to offer in the spirit of God that lives in us. And that value is demonstrated in what we call the the calling, right? Live in a manner that's worthy of the calling. Each of us has a calling. That calling is to be part of God's plan to, to reach the world. You're part of God's plan as part of his family doing family business. That's your calling. And then we said that calling... That calling comes with this, this, this challenge. The challenge, the calling, uh, the, the involves a challenge, but there's more than that, and I'm trying to remember it. I'm going to look at my notes here. <laughs> uh, there's a process. As part of the family, there's a process. It's a growth process. Prayer, challenge, process. The process is, is that you're born again as a baby in faith. As a baby in faith, you grow up to be a child. As a child, you grow up to be a teen. As a teen, you grow up to be an adult. An adult is characterized by having children of your own, and the process continues again. And every one of us is on a on that continuum if we're part of the church. We're all children who are seeking to be fed the basics. We're all Young, young uh, babies seeking to have the basics, children seeking to be taught about life and how to live those basics, teens seeking to serve and love, and, and, and parents who are seeking to have children of their own as we follow Jesus. That's what God's Word says we're called to have, a prayer, a challenge, a process to be part of the family of God. But the problem is, the question is, what motivates us to proceed in that? What motivates us to grow? What motivates us? How how can we motivate to grow? Because we have an issue. The issue is the lies we tell ourselves. The lies we tell ourselves restrict us, hold us back, kill us, fill us with anxiety, paralyze us with fear. 
The lies we tell us result in us not wanting to grow as God has provided opportunities. The lies we tell us become the source of our rebellion, the resistance to God's Spirit. The Bible says it's why we quench the Spirit of God in our life. Why? Because of the lies we tell ourselves and hold to. And it's these lies that Paul addresses in the text, the text that we're going to be looking today. These are words that were written to Christians in the church in the town of Philippi, a Macedonian city in the first century. These folks were great Christian folks who had heard about Paul being in prison. So they send one of their own with a bunch of supplies and stuff and, 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 and questions of concern regarding his status. They send him to him in prison. This letter is the response that Paul penned to take with this guy to go back to the church to report what was happening. It's a thank you letter. It's appreciation letter. It's an update letter. It's a letter that also addresses some of the questions and concerns and issues that the church was dealing with, some of the lies they were telling themselves that were hindering them from being able to see God work fully in them. And so if you give your attention to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, if, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul begins with some inspiration speak. He starts talking to the heart. He starts addressing that place that, that every one of us uh, find motivation from, that thing that comes from the inside that forces us, that moves us to do what we need to do. Paul addresses the issue of belief, and he appeals to their heart. He says, if you have given your heart to Jesus, if you, have given, you, if you love me as your spiritual father, then this is what I, I want you to, to look to do. I want you to be of one heart and one mind and one faith. I want you to walk with God as God intended, intent on one purpose. He begins to address that issue, that place where our self-talk has the most jurisdiction, our heart. And he wants them to give total commitment to follow Jesus he wants them to be inspired by God's Spirit through His encouragement to pursue the fullness of what God has in store for them in Jesus. But then he addresses the issue, the limitation, the lies that we tell ourselves. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And again, we're talking motivation. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, lies. But with all humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, the, on a cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul says, don't be motivated by selfishness and conceit. What motivates us in selfishness and conceit? Well, what motivates us is the ultimate lie we live by. The ultimate lie that's captured in a story right there in the beginning of our Bibles in the book of Genesis. The temptation of the serpent to eat that which they were told not to eat. How did it go? It went like this. It went like, hey, this looks good, doesn't it? And let me tell you this, God really didn't mean what he was saying, that you will die. In fact, what God is doing is God's holding out on you. Go ahead and take your life in your own hands. Accept this proposition. God does not have your best interests at heart. And in fact, you may have a better handle of that. Therefore, take it on your own. And when you do, you will get what... He has, because God's trying to hold out on you. That becomes the basis of every rebellion in our life. I know God's word says I have to live sexually pure, but I love him. And so I'm going to do it my own because I have a better handle on my happiness than God. God says, uh, God's word says I need to, to live in a manner where I, I honor him with my money. Well, he doesn't have my bills. And I'm going to do a little this and a little that because I got a better handle on it. God says that, that, that you know, I'm going to dedicate my steps to him. Well, God does, God's not here and things aren't going so well. So I'm going to step out and kind of take things on my own and do it my own because God doesn't have a, I can't trust God with dealing with my life. In fact, I trust myself more than God. Ultimately, this is the lie, the greatest lie, the greatest source of our suffering and death and trouble is the belief in that lie. The lie that says we can find our own way by our own strength, by our own terms, to happiness and life and eternity. The lie that says I can make it to heaven on my own if I'm good enough and I have enough competence. But it's a lie. And it's a lie that we need to be set free from because the destination of that lie, not only by testimony of God's word, but in experience of life is death and suffering and disappointment and anxiety and depression and being let down and not having that which is promised, a lot of bait and switch. We cannot be right with God by our own power. And when we believe that, we're on a road to destruction. But God's grace gives us the truth, right? God's grace is that the way to life is brought about by God through Jesus who moved towards us. Just think about that for a minute. The Christian faith is the only faith, if you want to say religion, in which the story, the narrative involves God moving towards the sinners. In every other faith system, 
The sinners have to move towards God by certain works and acts and devotion and blah, blah, blah. But the Christian faith, what we just celebrated in communion, is God moved toward us. How did he do that? He did that by becoming a man. That's what Paul says in his word here in Philippians. God humbled himself becoming a man, limiting himself to a human form. Being a human being, he not only limited himself in that way, but he then went to the cross willingly. Not under compulsion, but under, uh, under the impetus of love for God and for us. And when he gave up his life, his life was offered up as an atonement. That is a, a price paid for what we owe. And that, that truth is grace. Heaven moved toward us. We don't strive and reach heaven. Heaven came to us and is available to us if we believe and if we accept that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. A way is made open. And because of this, Paul says, remember that. If this is true, if this is our mirror and we accept this truth, and we accept the testimony of those who love us enough to, to share what God is doing in their own lives because they've accepted God's grace in that, then we will be set free. And in that place, we will be inspired to change, to grow. So that's why Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as, you, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, it's interesting when we read this text, we have a tendency to lock in, and particularly in the way we think, and then particularly in this habit of believing the lie, is we lock in, oh, God is, uh, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we tend to focus on that and forget the other part where he says, for it is God who is at work in you. The working out of our salvation with fear and trembling ultimately isn't a work from us, it is a work in us, Right? Too many Christians accept at their baptism the fact that heaven has come down and they say, praise God. Praise God, have eternal life. But then they turn around and live as if they're striving to get back to heaven as if it was on their own. No, no, no. God moved heaven to us. And now that heaven is in us by his spirit, we now bring heaven to those who are around us. We don't strive to heaven as something to achieve. No, we strive to be heaven. Does that make sense? God's Spirit in us is at work in us, bringing heaven to where we live, to where we dwell. See, heaven is the place where God lives. And if God is in us, according to the word of the testimony, by his spirit, then we have to give ourselves to him. We have to learn to live by this truth. As if we're looking in a mirror daily, be reminded of this. And then committed to the friendships and the fellowship that is being assigned to us in the community of faith so that we might learn in a community where we speak the truth in love. And this is how I say it. Those of you that are full, fill in the blank junkies, here we go. You can get excited here right now. Right. Here's, a, here's how it is. We grow by God's power. Transformation is heaven in us, right? 
We grow by God's power through closeness with God's people. Love everybody, trust the few. Paddle your own canoe. Following God's process. There's an intent to this whole thing. We don't just show up in church and sit around and then go home. No, there's a process involved. There's a working. There's a, there's a, there's a, there needs to be a plan in which we're moved along. Process means power plus people over time working towards a goal. Now, I see this illustrated in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul's dealing with an issue in this church. This church had a lot of problems, the Corinthian church. And one of the problems they were dealing with was what I would call celebrityism. We get this a little bit, too. Some of the people in the church were like, all like, hey, I became a Christian because of Paul. And others began, well, we became a Christian of Apollos. And Apollos, you know, beats Paul hands down, blah, blah, blah. And they were getting into it. Some, some people like get into this today. Oh, I, I listen to Ravi and live by Ravi's word. Oh, I listen to Joel and live by Joel's word. Oh, I listen to blah, blah, blah. And Paul says, these are just servants Servants of God who have a purpose. These are the, the people, God's people, who, who strive to help you in this process. He says, I planted the seed, Paulus watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers of God's servants. You are God's field, God's building. We grow by God's power. God makes the seed of faith grow. We grow through closeness with God's people, Paul and, and Apollos doing their thing, being co-workers in God's service, and we go in God's purpose. There's planting and watering. There's intent. He uses the analogy of agriculture. He uses the analogy of building a building. Those are all language of process, following an intentional plan towards an end, to a maturity, to knowing God in the fullness, being Jesus' followers, who are mature in the faith, who are training other Jesus followers. See, a way of, to be right with God is being made open to us. If we believe in Jesus, the Bible says, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Free from what? Free from the lies that we tell ourselves. But we have to believe. We have to commit to grow and to change, to break the destructive habits, to grow by God's power. We have to be open because openness begets openness. And it starts with us believing the words of Jesus. If you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross. What does that mean? That's total commitment. We have to be open to God and his power. We have to look into the mirror of his word so that we have the courage to truthfully see what we see there so that we might be set free from the lies we tell ourselves. We have to commit to being open to God's people, people that God has assigned to speak the truth in love. And it may be truth that's hard to take, but it's truth that we can take because we know what's best, and when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. It was a time in my life that I, I was extremely lonely. I had my wife, but I really wouldn't say that I had many friends, particularly friends who were men of God, male friends that would kind of helped me and encouraged me dealing with things that, that men do deal with. And so I came to a point where I just said, okay, I can't blame the church and I can't blame the elders and I can't blame my staff and I can't blame this and that. I got to recognize that, that the problem starts with me and the lies I tell myself. And the lie I tell myself 
at this point is that somehow someone is going to walk into my life without being invited. And so I had to say, I'm going to have to be open. And so I started praying. I started praying for men of God to be in my life. And God answered that prayer. Ten years ago, minister group that I was a part of, that led to friendships that I developed, that led to this covenant group that I'm part of, that led to uh, developing of friends that now are part of my life, that, that, that they're able to speak truth to me. And I'm able to speak truth to them as we hold each other close in this journey of faith. But the problem was me. And then finding the truth about that set me free. And in being set free, I was able to receive the blessing that God intended, that closeness to God's people is how God brings about change with his power. See, God provides mentors and, 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 and relationships that bring about this transformation. I have to commit myself to the process of, of, of moving from baby to child to teen to adult in my faith walk. I have to make sure that I don't believe church is something I attend, but it's something that I am. I have to be the church. I have to live the church. And those are issues that are seated right here in me. God has power to transform you. God has people to be close to. And God has a process to bring about change and growth in the community of faith. The limiting, limiting factor are the lies you tell yourself. What lies are you telling yourself? What lies do you need to be set free from so that you might be inspired to move to change? Pray about it. Talk to someone close to you about it. Consider it. Too many of us are content to sit still and not ha see the transformational power of God in our life. And that is, that's because of the lies we tell ourselves. We're unmotivated to change because of the lies we tell ourselves. We're unmotivating to be open to God and to be open to others because of the lies we tell ourselves. Believe in Jesus and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for your word and I thank you, Lord, for the blessings you provide in your word. Sometimes they're hard. It takes courage to look in the mirror and it takes courage to accept that which we see and it takes courage to go to those deeper places, you know, to keep faith up there in the, the realm of logic and thought and lessons to be learned, uh, that's easy. To make our faith bring it down to the heart, the seat of motivation, the place where our deepest hurts lie, the place where your spirit lives, that's harder work. But Lord, I know that you're about heart work and you're about life transformation work. And I just pray that through the word and through even my imperfections of the explanation of, of your word, that, that, that your spirit will, will do heart work today, healing work, transformational work, that we'll see the reality of, of Jesus' promise, that they will believe and will know the truth. And the truth will be 
setting us free. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.